Welcome to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream, where we spend an hour each week exploring life-improving topics through a lens of alcohol recovery and the Sinclair Method. Every week, we take on a new question, topic, or common challenge to empower people to either build a better relationship with alcohol or to eliminate it completely. Episodes are filmed live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash c3foundation, and the audience is encouraged to ask questions and engage with the hosts and guests. The Option Save Lives weekly stream is hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and is produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous sponsors. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Options Save Lives weekly live stream. As always, I'm Jenny Williamson, Executive Director at the C3 Foundation and your host for the next hour. How is everybody today? I see some of our regulars out there already. Annette, Mudforce, great to see you guys out there. Uh, we are broadcasting live from the C3 Foundation office here in sunny Fort Myers, Florida. Where's everybody watching from today? Do we have any first timers out there? If so, welcome. So this week, we're gonna talk about building a TSM recovery toolbox with Dr. Michelle Perron. So audience, what do you guys think of when you hear the term recovery toolbox? What pieces do you guys think are important? Go ahead and put that stuff in the chat right now. We're gonna, instead of doing a Q&A separate, we're gonna, make this as conversational and interactive as possible. So as you guys have questions and comments, uh, we're gonna try to get to them as we go through and can fit them all in. So the reason we wanted to talk about this today is because there are still some people out there who hold on to the misconception that following the medication protocol for the Sinclair method will all by itself create success without any effort needing to be applied toward replacing habits, dealing with triggers, or addressing co-occurring mental health issues. And we know how important support is to the process. So before we jump in, let me properly introduce our guest for today. Michelle holds a PhD in counseling studies from Capella University and an MBA from Thunderbird School of Global Management. She's certified as a drug and alcohol counselor internationally as well, in the U as well as in the U.S. and is certified in applied positive psychology and is a clinical supervisor at Lion Rock Recovery. Michelle has worked at all levels of addiction care, including detox units, intensive inpatient care, intensive outpatient care, extended care, medication-assisted care, adolescent care, continuing care, moderation management, and online telehealth TSM coaching and counseling. She's the author of Tools for Life, a comprehensive and practical guide to the underlying principles of recovery, and she's one of our coaches at, the, at Your Sinclair Method Coaching. So welcome to our show, Michelle. Hi, Jenny. So nice of you to invite me. I'm excited to be here. 
Well, we are glad to have you. Before we jump headfirst into our topic today, we always like to start with an easy icebreaker. So I'm going real easy for you here. Okay. Coffee, tea, or something else? Um, something else. Yeah? What, what What's your go-to drink? Um, I drink a lot of chicory coffee. I really like it. I went to New Orleans a few years ago, and I just fell in love with it. And I've, I've been drinking it ever since. I like the amaretto-flavored um, chicory coffee. Um, um, it's from Ticino. I love it. Oh. <laughs> it's my go-to. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a regular coffee person myself, but uh, it, which I'll be finishing while, while we stream here. Um, it's kind of my, my Friday stream ritual is to save my coffee for, uh, for the show. Awesome. So um, to start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about why the topic of building a recovery toolbox is so important to you because when I invited you on, you immediately gravitated toward this topic. So talk about it a little bit. Well, uh, for me, I work with, have worked with people for 15 years, as you said, and as we emerged into the field of moderation as a, and, and using another method to come to abstinence, which is so great about the TSM method, what I'm realizing is people need more, more choices. They need to not have a one size fits all therapy in recovery. There needs to be more choices and more options to get people to be more functional again. And when we give more choices and more options, that means we get to pick and choose what to put in the toolbox. We don't have just the hammer as we were talking about earlier. We get to have other things that we can do. And I find that doing TSM and moving into moderation and learning those skills around all of that allows people to make their own unique uh, recovery that fits them, that suits them and takes out the guilt and shame from, from you know, that we've learned over the last 85 years with one size fits all treatment. And for those of you who aren't in on the uh, conversation we had off the air beforehand, so the hammer story, this actually came from somebody in our peer support groups years and years ago. I don't remember who or I would credit them, but uh, she said her father or father or grandfather was a carpenter and equated the Sinclair method to being a hammer. While it is critical to have a hammer when you build a house, you simply cannot build a house with only a hammer. And while TSM might be a critical tool, that doesn't mean that you can build the life that you want and the best version of you that you want to be with only one tool. And so that that's where the hammer story is. If so, we're we're going to hopefully, by the time we're done with this hour, give you more tools that you can apply to your toolbox. And um, it, and hopefully that'll, it'll be something that you can create uh, that is unique to you. So, Michelle, what are some of the most critical tools that you think people should include alongside the Sinclair method? Yeah. Well... The Sinclair method accounts for about 35% of your recovery, your movement towards whatever level of drinking you want to get to, right? That's 30, gets you over the hump. But the other 
what is it, 65%, right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mathematically, the other percentage has to come from behavioral tools. So I like to look at it that you have the physiological aspect, and that means the naltrexone is going to cover the brain, the brain receptors, and it's going to to cover the response your body has. However, around that are all the behaviors and all the rituals and all the things that lead up the mindsets, the habits that we have, all of that supports that brain behavior. So when you start to change the brain, you may, the, your body might respond differently, but you're still, you know, doing the same thing you were doing every day and you're not making behavioral changes. So that's where I really focus. Mindset, behavior, and, um, creating what you want. Okay. And, um, what are some tools that people can use? Like break, break some of that down. Um, so we'll talk about probably the first thing people are, especially if they're brand new to the Sinclair method, they're still dealing very much with the cravings, cravings and triggers. So what kind of tools can a person use to start dealing with those while, and I usually like to say, while working as a partner with the Sinclair method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the first thing I always want clients to do is find their why. You need to find a strong why. Why am I doing this? Because sometimes, and write it down and put it in your nightstand, put it on, you know, put it somewhere in your pocket. You can put it even on your refrigerator if you want to. But you have to have a strong why because there are going to be many days when you're going to say, hell with the why, I don't care anyway. But you can go there and you can read it and you can reinforce your why. Keep yourself motivated that way. Secondly, there are lots of things you can do, right? When it comes to cravings, um, we can do distraction, which is the most common. Go do something else. Unfortunately, after about nine months of distraction, you become a human doing, you get too tired and you just can't keep up with that. So we have to become a human being, not just a human doing. So I'm not a big fan of distraction. It works in the short term, can be effective, but it's not a long-term plan. So secondly, we can surf the urge. And you've heard of that sitting and saying, okay, giving space to it, saying this is arising in the body. What do I feel? And this will be over soon. And we just do a little self-talk. My favorite one though is ABC breathing. And I learned this through Dr. Kim DiRamo. And she uses that, she's an ER physician who's got into treating people on an energetic level. And ABC breathing is simply um, A, become aware, drop down below your neck into your body and say, when I'm craving, what's going on? Where's the tightness? Where's the anxiety? Where's the knot? Where's the pain even? Like what is, where's the agitation? Identify where it is in your body. B, take a breath. And I like the kind of breathing it is. It comes natural to me. And that is you take a breath in through your nose and then you release it sharply. And then you do another one in through your nose, release it sharply. You do a third one. I'll do it just for demonstration. And you can even shake it off with your hands. So that's B, breathing. And C is when you get to the bottom of that third breath, you choose, you make a choice. Here's how I'm feeling. Here's how I want to feel. You want, I don't, I want to feel free of my cravings. I want to feel relaxed. I want to feel focused. I want to feel, feel um, hungry or whatever it is. I want to find the next best thing to do. I want to feel content. I want to feel calm. You tell yourself the thing you want to feel. 
And then you let that sit for a minute, you give it space and see what happens. You can rinse and repeat if you like. Um, and then the third, I think, yeah, the third one or fourth one <laughs> would be uh, tapping. I'm a big fan of tapping and you can go online. And I like the people who wrote the book, The Tapping Solution. And uh, you can just go to YouTube and, and put in tapping for cravings or tapping for addiction. And, they, and find someone you like as many people are doing work in that sphere. And so you can find somebody you like and you can tap along. It may seem weird to our Western sensibilities. However, I found it to be extremely effective for anxiety, for depression, for food cravings, for alcohol cravings, uh, just even for visual visualization, like for, for vision, for eyes, it actually makes a difference. Um, and it's kind of like a magical tool. I've used it myself. And it's, it's pretty amazing. I was super skeptical, didn't believe in it. And then I did it and like, wow, so I use that tool now with clients frequently. And the wonderful thing about the Sinclair method and also moderation and harm reduction techniques and treatments is that after you have sat with those feelings, after you have done some deep breathing, you do have the option of, I believe you said it, it also ends in de-decide. Um, so, you choose. Or oh, yeah. choose, I'm sorry, choose. So if you've, you may find that, you know what, this particular time, I, I, I need to take my medication and just go ahead and have an extinction session. Mm -hmm. So talk about the mindset a little bit be, um, that is helpful in, if that is one's choice, in the sense that, you know, Contrasting that against abstinence-only models, that's a defeat if you're abstinence-only model. Whereas with the Sinclair method or harm reduction or moderation of, of any type, it's a completely different mindset. So talk about that a little bit. So in abstinence-based treatment, what we have people focus on is like surrendering. I can't find the solution. It's not sitting on the couch and giving up although some people do, it's sort of like, I've tried everything, I've exhausted all the pathways, and I can't do it alone, therefore, I'm going to let somebody help me. And I, and then we learn and understand about the body and the physiology. And some places are very strong about, well, you don't have an underlying reason, you just are an alcoholic, that's who you are. And I disagree with that. I have found that every single client I've ever worked with in 15 years has an underlying reason. So we get to that. And then if someone wants to start drinking again, I recommend that you get some tools and some training and some behavioral stuff and some support. It's really helpful. But the mindset there is it's a done deal for the rest of my life. I'm never going to do this again. And I'm going to have to white knuckle it and deprive myself of having any drink ever again. Now, if it's been very destructive, that might be an easier decision than if it hasn't been really destructive. So that's, that's kind of why we get this idea of relapse and and shame and guilt and all that. So what I like about moderation, it's I I believe it's a more humanistic approach to um, addict to addiction. It's it's more humanistic because it accounts for I'm not going to be perfect. I'm not going to be abstinence the rest of my life. Give it up forever and ever. If I'm 21, that's really hard. And if I'm 51, it's hard. And if I'm 61, it's hard. Right. So this way I get to take a pill that helps my body, my physiology, 
work with me, but what, what is it working with? My mindset is rather than committing to never having a drink as long as I live, I'm committing to keeping track of my drinking, to being mindful about my drinking, to, to not to going to weddings and, and occasions to not get so drunk that I obliterate the occasion because we're not, we're going to make memories. We're not going there to be that woman or that man at the wedding that's doing the bad toast and the embarrassing thing. We're going to the wedding to make memories with the couple and our family and to enjoy the, the food and the wine and the dance. Like we're there to experience a memory, not to obliterate it. So the commitment becomes not that I'm drinking responsibly because I'm at home in my Barco lounge or getting drunk. That's not what this is about. Moderation is about drinking responsibly for my personal welfare my well-being and my sense of joy and lightheartedness and, and physical health. So the commitment and the mindset is I'm going to do what's best for me. And if best for me one day is not drinking at all, that's fine. And if best for me another day is having two or three drinks, then that's fine too. But you're not locked into this one, one commitment forever and ever. You get to be the person that you are with changing moods and times and choices and, gives you back and talk about how powerful that can be for someone in a positive way by not locking into a drinking session as the shame and, and judgment of failure. Yeah. Well, in moderation and using TSM, we agree that we're going to drink and we're going to drink responsibly in terms of my well-being, not not at home <laughs> in my Barker lounge or not that scenario, but it helps us feel a lot. We can let go. What I find with my clients are they're able to let go of the guilt and shame because gee, they're just human and they're having a human experience. And so when I, when I want to drink, the only commitment I have is to take my pill. I call that the non-negotiable. You take your pill, make it no big deal. Just do it and, and move on, go get on with your day and go to that you know, happy hour, go to that dinner, go to that bar mitzvah, that wedding, have a, have a few drinks for your birthday. Now Trexone will help that bearing in mind that you're not drinking anymore to obliterate and get wasted. You're drinking to enhance and celebrate and remember what's going on in your life. And that's the beauty. That's the difference. I think the guilt and shame can go because if I overdrink, which does happen, people will still overdrink in the beginning from time to time. And so when that happens, what I always do with my clients is bring them back and go, okay, what happened? Let's follow the trail, see where we could have taken a right instead of a left and go from there. And so, and then it's like, well, okay. And I'm, people are very, because we're all trained to feel so guilty about our drinking, people tend to be more punitive than I would be as the, the counselor, or the coach, right? So I have to constantly remind people, well, how was this? How was Christmas last year? What would have you done had you not been on TSM? No, oh my gosh, they, like their eyes always widen and they always tell me how much worse things would have been. Now, okay, so instead of drinking 25 drinks, you had 10. That's still over drinking, but you didn't, you, you didn't go to 25. You never even made it even halfway there. So let's celebrate the wins, even if they're small. Let's keep moving and keep you on track because guilt and shame serve no one at all. They just take away your motivation. Often I say it's like losing weight. If you lose a few pounds, you're motivated to lose a few more. But if you try for three months and you haven't lost a pound, you're like, screw this. I would give up sooner personally. <laughs> you know, this isn't working. So with TSM, you just have to, to really mark the gains. 
the little ones. And then that motivates you to keep working in that mindset. Whereas in abstinence-based treatment, if you have one drink, if you have one sip, oh, let's start the clock again. So if I'm sober 364 days and I drink on one day, now I'm restarting. And that whole year doesn't mean anything. No, no, that's, I don't like that mindset. And so yeah, that's something that I stress when I'm at addiction conferences, um, when we do exhibits, and I'm thrilled that we're finally going to be able to get back to doing some of that this year, uh, is I'll, I'll look at a medical doctor who they are so zeroed in on patient weight. And I'll say, okay, this is, this is good. Let me talk to you about this. If you have a patient that needs to lose 100 pounds and they lose 50 and the holidays come, and they gain 10 back, are you going to tell them that they need to lose 100 pounds now that they've gained some weight back? No, absolutely not, because that would be ridiculous. You don't lose the good because you've moved in a different direction. You take where you're at, and then you move forward. So we're having an interesting conversation in the chat here, um, I've got a, a loved one uh, who it was asking about, you know, cravings before versus after extinction. And I was mentioning that, you know, even people who have never been addicted to alcohol can still have the occasional craving. Mm-hmm. So this is something that I've seen where people also will panic. They've, they've done really well on the Sinclair method. There are post-extinction they've had no issues something happens and suddenly they're having an off-the-charts craving day just Mm -hmm. out of the blue so what kind of tools do you suggest in that kind of a scenario um, to kind of bring them back down to the look at the success you've had and that you're still fine this is normal How how do you do that what kind of tools Well, one of the things I always talk about is the abstinence myth by Addie Jaffe, right? When you are forced to not drink ever again at all, if you are a daily drinker, because your cravings will come back and they'll come back with a vengeance, right? Then we have the relapsing happening. And, but, so that's with abstinence-based. But when you're on the Sinclair method, because you're allowing yourself um, moderate drinking and you're taking a pill, naltrexone can help with cravings as well. So if you get your craving at four in the afternoon and you have naltrexone and it's over the top, take your naltrexone. That should amp down the craving for one thing. Number two, nothing is permanent. No craving is permanent. You're not gonna be in the state of, oh my God, I need a drink at, at a, on a scale of one to 10. That's not going to stay high for the next five hours. In other words, cravings come in waves. They just like emotions, they come and they go. And it's just a matter of going, oh, this too is temporary. I can do this. If it's a day you're choosing not to drink, but you shouldn't fight super hard. If you're fighting super hard, take your pill and go ahead and drink as usual. But if you're having a a craving, let's say on the scale of one to 10, you should be able to make a decisional balance there at five. You can choose to take your pill and drink. Don't be hard on yourself. That's what the pill's there for. Or you can make this, I'm going to surf this urge. I'm going to tell myself it's temporary. I'm going to tap on it. I'm going to do the breathing. But this too is temporary. And because I'm drinking, I'm not going to have this crazy off the chart craving as often as I would if I completely quit drinking altogether. So that's what's good. It's protective actually to go ahead and reduce your drinking and drink more periodically. Because if you do have that craving, 
it's okay. You just have to also explore why. Am I emotionally upset? Am I depressed? Did something bad happen? Did I lose somebody? Because feeling sad and grief can be extremely powerful as well. But with the pandemic, a lot of people have lost family members. And so, you know, grief is different. And unfortunately, alcohol does nothing for grief. It just encapsulates it. And the next day or the next month or 20 years later, you're still going to have to deal with the grief. It doesn't go away. It doesn't dissipate over time. So we have to deal with that and you might as well walk through it. Sometimes that means cry, call a friend, sit with somebody, have something to eat, go about normal business. And then you'll have another wave and you feel really sad. Let, let the tears come. Don't judge. Give space to what emotions are underneath the craving. And let's talk a little bit about how adding different tools such as various levels of professional help when it comes to counseling, coaching, counseling, therapy, whether that's on an individual or sometimes on a family basis, um, on, on how that can be very helpful for somebody. Because we do see a lot of people who they'll run through the process of extinction. They get to a point where they're they're, they pretty much plateau out at their reduction because they realize they've gotten themselves to a point where any, any more reduction and they're going to have to start feeling the feelings. So let's talk about that a little bit. It's really important because underlying the desire to drink, it's physiological secondarily, but originally we get to drinking because it's emotional. There's, we're bored, we're upset. We need to have an attitude adjustment. You know, we need to get de-stressed or we want to numb our feelings. So it's really important that we get, when we get to the other side of the woods and we're out in the open again, we start to feel the feelings and, oh my God, what am I going to do with all this? Since that was usually the reason why you started drinking in the first place, now, since you've decided to take that TSM method of change, you're going to come up to that. You're always going to come up to that clear open space where you go, oh my God, it's too bright. I can't stand it. I want to run back in the woods. So it's really important to have that support. You can have that support in an open TSM meetup, for instance, where there are just lay people, you know, experiencing and talking about their experience with TSM. Or if you have some deeper seated things that you want to keep private, it's really good to seek a coach. A coach is going to assume that you're going to be able to do what they ask and they can, and you can function and you're high functioning and doing well. And if that's not enough, then seek a counselor, an alcohol and drug counselor who's, who's um, um, uh, trained in TSM or, or knows about TSM and knows what it means and, and is supportive of moderation. And so then you begin there. And once you begin there and you start to sort that out, the next thing you can add, you can either uh, go to a group where other people are also in that forum. That's what I do at Lion Rock. We have individual care and then we have group care in terms of moderation and half the people in the group are on TSM and half are just doing um, behavioral skills. Or, or the next thing is you can also seek what we call an interventionist and there are interventionists there that come in with the family and you sit down as a family and get everybody on the same page, get everybody understanding what's happening, why it's happening, and how do we proceed in a positive manner. And so that can be extremely helpful to, to just open that up and say, okay, here's what's going on, hear everybody out. Might not be done in one session, it might not even be all together initially, but we'll get everybody's opinion and then we'll bring everybody into room and we'll decide how do we wanna go forward as a family. I call that the common family vision. 
So when everyone has the same target they're pointing at, you're far more likely to hit it. And if we're all got different targets of ideal living together type life. So, you know, when you live in a family, it's community, you have to plan and visualize together as a community. So working together doesn't mean that you have to force change or be judgmental or try to control the person who's over drinking or the person who's the martyr or whatever part of that family constellation you have. What it means is I love you barnacles and all. So let's do this because we committed to this, right? And let's talk a little bit more about um, about the about getting additional support outside of just the medical support portion of TSM mm-hmm. because we do see people who have a lot of co-occurring issues. Now, some of them are co-occurring issues that have led them to uh, escalated drinking, and some have co-occurring issues that have occurred because of their drinking. Anxiety can be one of those that can be be either one. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit about the importance of getting additional either again coaching or therapy or counseling um, if you have co-occurring issues and how avoiding doing that is going to make TSM harder. Yeah. So often um, we have to discern going to a professional uh, uh, alcohol and drug counselor who's moderation based or going to uh, an LPC or somebody who also supports, you know, SUD and and its treatment and, and accepts this idea of moderation. It's really important to help you sort out which came first, the chicken or the egg. We need to know. And, and when you're all by yourself in your own head, you know, you, you can't heal yourself. <laughs> it takes a village and there's no shame in that. So talking to someone personally, one-on-one and seeing the experience of others can be extremely helpful to help you get clarity from where, where is this coming from? Often I find people have childhood wounding, they have trauma histories, they have um, ways of being that they learned in childhood that they just keep repeating and repeating. It's become characteristics and it becomes personality. And then at the you know, the nth degree, it can become mental health issues. So we can, rather than give you a big old label, I'm really not a fan of labels in early recovery. What we can do is start to, to um, sparse out or parse out what's going on with you. Like what, where did this come from? Where did it start? When did you first feel this way? And rather than doing that yourself and journaling, that can be helpful. You need to have a third person, a, a person outside of yourself who has experienced this before with others and knows the way out of the jungle. You can get yourself caught up. So which came first? Did you start drinking to deal with the problem or did you start, or did the problem happen after you started drinking, right? So there are, and and codependency, we all say, and it's well known even in the AA and Al-Anon circles that codependency is learned in childhood and it always rides shotgun to alcohol in the car, always. So it's, and everyone's on that spectrum, right? There's mild all the way to severe and there's, and everything in between. So it's a big gray area about how are the things that, that I do, how does, how does that affect How are the ways of thinking affecting my drinking? So because we cannot separate your mind, your body, and your soul, you're one thing, you're one entity. We must really pay attention to all parts of that. Like your thoughts, your emotions, your situation, your living, your physical health 
your job, your family, and then spiritually, like, where's my strength? Where do I go to? If I go in or inside, where do I go to find strength, personal strength and perseverance? Where does my resilience come from? So those are the three aspects that I cover with my clients because I think they're really important in wholeness, right? And resilience, apparently I need a little more coffee. Uh, I can't speak. Uh, Resilience is something that um, I think that's often overlooked um, because we, in a society that's so focused on the black and white of abstinence. So you are either successful or you are failing. There's no in between. And so from failure, it's, it's hard to feel resilient. You feel defeated in failure. Mm-hmm. So learn, there, the great thing about resilience is it can be learned. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about Uh, some tools that people can use if they want to start building the resilience within themselves so that they can feel as though they can bounce back a little bit more from their perceived failures. Yeah. Uh, One of the first things that people overlook and they disqualify the positive. So when you do something well, even making the choice to go on TSM, then Wait, that's the first, yes, that's the first resilient marker, if you will, right? And then every time you're successful to to celebrate that, like put a little gold star on your calendar or, and I mean, successfully stay within a reasonable limit, two to three drinks, you know, for men, one or two drinks for women. If you go over a little bit now and then that's fine. Christmas, New Year's, your birthday, all that happens, right? But being within a reasonable, moderate, drinking level. When you are able to do that, even if it's one day a week, celebrate that one day. Well, if I did it today, I can do it again. It wasn't so bad. It wasn't so hard, right? I made it. I've had a lot of clients do that. So don't disqualify the positive because that's a cognitive distortion. The other thing is being radically accepted, practicing radical acceptance, right? Even my flaws are lovable. Even my, my, if my best effort today is a is like if I were a light bulb and it's only a 45 watt bulb, then that I have to accept because I'm not 100% every day. Other days I'm gonna wake up and I'm gonna feel all full of vim and vigor and I'm gonna be a 75 watt bulb. Yeah, then the whole world gets a really good version, right? And the people I interact with, but other days I may be a 60 watt. So that radical acceptance. So don't disqualify the positive. Mark the days that you make your progress. Um, Radically accept where you're at. Give the space because if you don't love yourself, how is anyone else going to do that? So start to give yourself radical acceptance, right? And also what I like to incorporate into resilience is this idea of visualization. Live from the outcome that you want. In other words, take a little bit of time each day and visualize yourself walking through your day successfully, not over drinking, taking your pill, having one or two and going, hey, I got this. And it was a good day. Or if you want to do something and not drink, like say you want to take a day off or get through dry dryuary or sober September, sober October, whichever month you go with. Um, if you want to do that, it's living through it. See yourself walking through a wedding, for instance, moderating your drinking or not drinking at all. Walk through, take the itinerary. I've done that with clients. Take the wedding itinerary if you're the father or mother of the bride or whatever and walk through, well, we're going to get, going to go to the 
the hotel, we're going to get ready, the makeup is going to come, the hair is going to be done, we're going to have a little bit of brunch, so that we'll probably have champagne at that point, and then there's going to be pictures and more, more beverages, and, you know, so that you don't, you can pace yourself, you can make that choice, and giving you, so visualize your success, and your success will come to you. That's the most powerful tool we use. Whenever we have a big challenge, I say, let's walk through this. Let's visualize this because your brain does not know if it's happened or not. So if you walk through it and you did it great, then when you're actually challenged in the physical, the brain goes, oh, I've been here, done that. I can do this piece of cake. And you're much more likely to do as well or better is the experience I've had with people. They do as well as they have visualized or better. And there's also some power in remembering that just because you had a setback and you feel as though you failed at one thing one night does not make you a failure of everything all the time. Globalizing. That's the cognitive distortion. If I do this and everything's bad, right? No, that's that radical acceptance. If I do this, okay, what did I learn? Resilience is built on what did I learn? If I learn nothing, then that experience is a waste, right? But if I go back and sit for just a minute, what did I learn? Well, I learned that if I, you know, sit down in my favorite chair, I get the cravings. We go back and we say, what can I do different? I won't sit in that chair. I'll sit over here on the couch instead. I'll, I'll rearrange the freaking furniture in the living room. That even helps, believe it or not, or changing around your bedroom, but, but destabilizing the habits that support your drinking right down to your feng shui in your house can be extremely helpful, right? So we want to change what I do so that I don't have this um, well, I'm here in Wisconsin where we have cows, right? we got to milk cows in the morning and in the noon and in the night. So the cows don't have to be chased out in, in the field every day. They know when it's time to be milked and the farmer goes out and opens the door and the cars are, cows are usually waiting to be milked because they've come in from the field overnight and they walk on the same path and that path gets worn deeper and deeper and deeper. It can be two, three feet deep sometimes because the cows don't vary from where they walk. So just like that, our habits create that so that when we do the same thing over and over, we will do it on automatic pilot. So part of recovery is changing all of my automatic habits, the ones that don't serve me. I'm not a cow going to get milked. In other words, I get to actually step off the path and do something differently. So the end result is different. And what is a key thought that someone needs to have in order to step off that, that rut and step out and say, okay, um, you know, I'm going to do things different. What, like, what can help people who, I think a lot of times what happens is people know they want to do something different. They just don't know what to do and they don't know how to do it. So how, how do you deal with, with that when it's somebody who they're feeling very vague and ambiguous, they know they want change, they know they need change. They just, they have no idea where to start. And even trying to figure it out seems overwhelming. Yeah. Where I start is awareness. First, you have to be aware. I want to make change. Secondly, I have choice. I'm always at choice. I'm always at the point of choosing. I am not enslaved to any chemical. I, you know, you can choose to not be a slave to alcohol if that's your desire. You can choose to master this. You can choose to move past it or beyond it or to have it be not the most important idea in your mind. 
you're always at choice. Sometimes taking a break and then starting TSM can be helpful if you can manage it. And if you can go a week or even two weeks or even 30 days, a lot of people kick off with dry January, right? That's a big one worldwide. So that if you can do it, great. If you can only do two weeks or a week or a couple of days, start with a little piece of, of, of dry time because it's helpful because you can do this for a day or two or a week, but maybe not the rest of your life, right? That temporariness of the situation really frees us up to make choices. And that takes the urgency out of, oh my God, it's all or nothing. No, it's just for today. I can do this because I'm not going to do it the rest of my life, but I can take you know, Friday night off because I'm choosing to, because I want to demonstrate to myself that I'm, I'm back in choice, that I'm running the bus, that I can do this. And just that belief in oneself, just building that up and, and observing other people go to a meeting, go to, go to a moderation meeting, go to a TSM meeting, go to a meeting, hear other people and you go, Oh, guess what? I'm not so special and different. Everyone's doing what I'm doing. Everyone's feeling what I'm feeling. So that camaraderie that, Oh, Okay, you can, it also, you know, lets you, lets you become relieved, right? Like, oh, okay, phew, I got through this. Other people are like this. I'm not crazy. I can manage. If she can do it, she sounds like me. I can do it. What did she do? I'll try that. You know, those sort of things. Yeah, one of, one of the common refrains we hear uh, and see in our peer support groups is last night or last week, something, you know, went on. I drank too much. I was doing so well. What's wrong with me? And I think that what you're talking about really speaks to that in the sense that, no, there's nothing wrong with you. You're human. Yeah. First <laughs> and and other people have experienced the same thing that you're experiencing that might have been for different reasons, but it's you're not the only one who has ever done this and felt this way. Um, so talk a little bit about why it's important that people customize their recovery toolbox. Uh, because, because we aren't made at the Ford Motor Company. <laughs> We're not exactly created alike. Everybody has their own unique experience. And so because no two people are alike, our fingerprints are different. Our hair is different. Uh, you know, no two people are alike. So you have to do what feels right and what is, is a moderate effort. It doesn't have to be changing your whole life and white knuckling yourself through it and forcing a solution. It's more of allowing a solution and saying, okay, I'm human. Here are my choices. I wanna reduce my drinking. This pill is gonna help me. What else can I do? I need to put some skin in the game. I need to do a little efforting. If it's not working as well as I had anticipated, that's when I start to incorporate my behavioral tools. You know, I need to, maybe start later in the day or give myself a curfew, no drinking after nine o'clock or 10 o'clock at night, you know, or I'm going to practice asking for non-alcoholic drink just to intersperse between my drinking at happy hour. What's my favorite? I like oh, a virgin mule. <laughs> yeah. Ginger, ginger uh, beer and lime can be, and, and mint leaves can be really good just on their own. Right. Really, Absolutely. It's one of my go-to drinks. Um, so what can I, some people like coffee, I couldn't drink it at night, but you know, whatever, say it out loud, say it to yourself in the bathroom mirror. I'll have a coffee. Oh no, thanks. I'll have a lemonade. Can I have an Arnold Palmer? Like just something practice saying it. So it rolls off your tongue so that you don't hesitate and go, I'll have that second martini or third martini or fourth, God forbid. Right. So it's like, I don't want to go to those higher levels 
because I'm taking care of my liver. I'm living longer. It's not about everybody else. It's about me and my wellness. And so you come first, you get to choose. You have the power you always did to click your heels together. You can do this and believing that. And sometimes you need to be talking to someone that's going to be your cheerleader because often the family isn't going to be someone that keeps your, your, your train on the tracks and encourages you and gives you new ideas because it's really hard to solve a problem from the mind that created that. So everyone is unique and different. That's why I'm still doing this 15 years later because each client for me is like a Rubik's cube. They all have their own way of getting back to um, order from chaos. They all have it. And some people prefer to have a little chaos. It can liven things up a little bit, but we don't want destructive chaos. We want something that keeps us interested you know, novelty and variety is one of the things you can do to help help your brain recover. Doing high dopamine reward things on the days you don't drink, those sorts of basic skills. But anyway, yeah. And a little earlier, you, you mentioned something a couple times that has actually come up in two previous broadcasts. Um, when Katie Lane was our guest a few weeks ago, she brought this up and Claudia talked about it a little bit last week as well but i think we can i think we have a situation here where we can frame it a little better you talk about getting to the wise mm -hmm. now would you do you recommend that people have two separate whys the why they're drinking in the first place and the why they want to reduce or eliminate alcohol how do how oh. do you approach that I approach that. Why now? Why are you seeking help now as opposed to, you know, six months ago or six years ago or six years from now? Like, why? What is it that just happened in your life that you're seeking change now? And when you're writing why now, it comes out as to what it, it will come out as you write that page or two about why now. If, if it's because I'm, I'm, you know, I'm tired of my depression getting worse. I'm tired of poor sleep. Those are things that you're going to go explore. If it's, it's, I just feel like changing because this is starting to cause problems for me or I'm not feeling good or my blood pressure's up or I'm pre-diabetic, th these will serve you, right? So that's the same answer, whether it's why, why was it happening and why do I want to change now? It, it'll, it, it'll answer that whole question all at once okay. if I answer the question, why now? Okay. So there, usually tend to be really intertwined reasons for why I'm drinking. And they, and once you get that answer, you also can tell if it's an underlying emotional reason, talk to somebody, go talk to somebody, a professional, a coach, a counselor, whatever you need. And if you were to list the five, just if you had a bullet point, five recovery tools that people should consider having alongside the Sinclair method in their recovery toolbox, what would those be? Of course, why now? Know how big the problem is. You can easily go on Google and type in DSM-5 and you can do your whole diagnosis yourself there by answering yes or no to the DSM-5 diagnosis. So you know clinically what people are looking at. Is your problem small, medium, or large? So you know where you're starting from and you can mark your improvement. Okay. The next thing I like to do is um, um, mark down or track your drinking. Really important. So that's three. And then I like to have all of my clients plan. 
Because what I, if I want to be an occasional drinker, occasional drinkers plan their drinking. They don't just like randomly at the last minute, put that operant conditioning stimulus response as close together as possible and then drink out of this world, right? We plan. What happens is it's a Monday morning. We look at our calendar like we would for work or if the kids need something, we look at what's happening this week and when would be the days that I want to drink. That way I can choose the three or four days a week I'm going to drink and I can choose how much I want to drink. Um, planning, it, it doesn't have to be rigid because if you do drink on a day you didn't plan, that's okay. But we don't want to make that the habit because we don't want to reinforce the operant conditioning, stimulus and response. What I want to do is create that space. TSM helps take the pill. You wait an hour rather than drinking right away. So it, it re removes some of that operant conditioning. But if you plan seven days in advance going, I've got a wedding on Saturday. And so uh, Friday night, I'm going to take it easy because that's what a moderate mind would think, right? And then Sunday's a school night, so I'm not gonna drink on a Sunday. If there's a football game and I didn't go to a wedding, it's a normal weekend. If I wanna have a couple of beers at the football game, but tomorrow morning, Monday morning is work. Whether you work from home or go to school, excuse me, go to school or have children, you still have this Monday morning thing, right? So school nights, I recommend people don't drink or if they do, they're one or two, you know, but not every school night and then get to the weekends and decide what you want to do there. No two weekends should look alike. It's I like the planning to be irregularly irregular. That's really big. And last but not least, do that ABC breathing and the visualization. Live from your outcome, from the outcome that you want. Well, and I love that you mention, yes, you plan, but you can, you know, it doesn't have to be rigid because a lot of people their their big pushback against planning their drinking is but i want to be spontaneous yeah and so what you're saying and you, i'll let you go into this a little bit more it doesn't actually negate spontaneity talk about how the two can live together so that you can plan and yet still be spontaneous yeah because we know the cdc and i like dr amen um, and I go somewhere between the CDC. So I recommend for my patients or my clients, uh, for women, one or two drinks a day, not more than two or three days a week, right? For men, two or three drinks a day, not more than two or three days a week. That's max. So if we're looking at nine or six, whichever you are, gender you are, um, we, we plan that. So it doesn't have to be nine every week all the time. Some weeks it's 12, some weeks it's four. For women, some weeks it's six, some weeks it's nine, some weeks it's two. It's, it's this variability. That's how they live together. And if on Wednesday night I go out and it's hump day and there's a big um, retirement party for someone at work and I overdrink and I planned on drinking like three tonight at this thing and I'm going to have three, I loosely planned Friday, I'm going to have three. Then what I'm going to do instead is like, all right, I drank three tonight. So I'm going to reduce my drinking on the next days that I drink so that I can barter and trade to keep me in that, that safe level for my liver and for my kidneys and for body inflammation and for my, you know, lumbago and my, my, um, borderline diabetes and whatever else I might be facing, right? I'm going to stay within this, this lower level of drinking. And that just means if I drink more than I intend one night, then that means I'll take a few from the, uh, I'll have a few less on the other days. I, I need to be really fluid with my intake staying, you know, within the umbrella or what I like to say, staying in the ballpark, 
right? So if we recommend nine for men, if you're still in the ballpark at 10 or even 12, still in that ballpark, we just don't want to always exceed the ballpark every day. Same with women. If you have 10 a day, 10 a week, 10 in a week, then, you know, next week do five or do less. You need to be flexible. That's human. I am not regimented. I'm not a computer. I'm not a robot. I cannot do the exact same thing every day, plan every day, stay rigid every day because I am human. I'm organic. I will go nuts and I will become bored if I have to do the same thing every day. <laughs> it won't work. You've got my mind spinning on how I can turn this into some sort of a physical resource that people can like, okay, this is how many drinks I'm allowing myself tonight and move them around the calendar. <laughs> um, yeah. Trying trying to figure out how to, how to make it a visualized, um, tangible tool. Um, because I love the idea of, of borrow, almost borrowing from your planned days um, mm -hmm. and moving them around uh, to, yeah. to stay within. So you've definitely got my mind uh, yeah. turning. So when we, yeah, so when we loosely plan, right, we can, we can decide what I have coming up. When we associate drinking with an occasion rather than as another equal drink in the refrigerator, it's not like orange juice or soda water or ginger ale. It's not, it's not like cold water. Alcohol has a special place. So when we associate alcohol with occasions, being out with people, a family barbecue, uh, you know, a Wednesday night with my favorite TV show, when we start putting it with occasions, it be we become occasional drinkers. And when we drink a lot less, we can drink a lot longer. We will stay alive to enjoy it and we will stay healthy so that our body lives longer. So what I like to say too, is I like to, I teach people how to drink a lot less so they can drink a lot longer. We'll make up for volume in the end run because we won't die so early. It'll be okay. Trust me. It's amazing <laughs> what reframing something in your mind can, uh, can do for it. Um, and, and that's, and, and basically that's just a complete reframing. Um, and so it's really hard to believe, but <laughs> Our hour is just about up. We are almost out of time already. So audience, you guys have been wonderful as always. Thank you so much for spending the last hour with us. Some of you have joined us for the first time and we are so glad to have some first time viewers out there. And we always love our weekly core crew who's out there uh, nearly every week. So thank you all for being here. Um, Go ahead, and if you learned anything that really stood out and something that you have heard today that you're thinking about using and trying to incorporate yourself, uh, go ahead and put that into the chat so that we can um, we can see some feedback as well on uh, what we might have said that resonated with you. And audience, please join me in thanking our wonderful guest, Michelle Perrone. Uh, go ahead and put some of those little love emojis in the chat box, subscribers. Um, you guys have those those little hearts in there. Um, Michelle, do you have any last words for the audience before we end the show? Yeah, it's kind of a mind blower. Drinking is not the problem. Drinking is not the problem. Over drinking is the problem over drinking is the problem so all of us are just trying to get to that space where we're not over drinking a I glass of wine or two to celebrate life is not the problem it's over drinking i love that that's a that's a great 
that that's a great point to end on so audience if you guys came in late or if you want to share or watch the stream again we are going to have today's video up on our website youtube vimeo anchor and spotify hopefully all by the end of today and as soon as we're able to we will get the transcripts and closed captioning added as well next week we are going to be joined by bruce rose from alcohol recovery scotland and he is also one of our international coaches with the your sinclair method coaching and we're going to talk a bit about the Sinclair Method support process. So start thinking of your questions for Bruce now. If you guys have found value in this broadcast, we hope you'll hit the donate button in our profile or head over to our website and make a donation at c3foundation.org donate. You can also follow our channel to get broadcast alerts and subscribe to our channel to go ad free and get some bonus emoji to use. If you're an Amazon Prime member, you can actually subscribe to our channel for free. You can also send gift subscriptions to other viewers, cheer, drop bits, host our channel, all of the typical Twitch uh, things that they have to offer. If you'd like to suggest a guest or a topic for a future broadcast, we've got a link to a Google form that has actually just dropped in our chat. It's also found on our main schedule page on our website. If you're on the Sinclair Method and you're looking for more peer support, or you just want to join the C3 Foundation community, we've got you covered with groups on Facebook, Discord, and the Option Save Lives Forum. All of them are free to join and take part in. And that is it for us today. I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Be gentle with yourself and with others. And I will see you again right here next week on Twitch at noon Eastern. Until next week. Bye, guys. You've been watching the Options Save Lives weekly live stream hosted by Executive Director Jenny Williamson and produced by the C3 Foundation with the support of R Street Institute and other generous supporters. For more information about the C3 Foundation or the Sinclair Method, visit our website at c3foundation.org. If you have a question you want answered live on air, to make guest suggestions, or to support the show, let us know. You can reach us through our website, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or on Discord. Join us each week as we continue to discuss more ways to help you build a better relationship with alcohol or to eliminate it completely. Because recovery from alcohol use disorder is not a one-size-fits-all process. Options are available. And options save lives.